God, would you open our hearts to your word? Would you speak, God, as you have done for 2,000 years through the words that are just printed for us on this page? God, we pray that the written word would confirm the spoken word, which would confirm the living word, God, and Jesus Christ might be glorified, for we ask it in his name. Amen. Hey, turn in your Bibles, would you, or on your phones, whatever you use to access the Word of God, to Revelation, uh, the book of Revelation. And we are, we, are, we are going to the back of the book. We are going to the final word um, in this incredible testimony of God's faithfulness we know of as, as the written Word. Um, Revelation, we'll be in Revelation 21, and then we're going to jump over to Revelation uh, 22 just for a final thought. I believe in your pew Bibles, that would be the maroon ones, you can find this scripture on page 1041. Uh, if you have a black large print Bible, many of our staff are switching to large print Bibles. Uh, if you have a, a black one, it's, Revelation is the last book of the Bible, and we are in chapter 21. And uh, we're going to begin in Revelation 21, verse 1. John, of course, is the author, the same John that wrote the Gospel of John, that wrote these letters to the church in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. He's the author of the book of Revelation. And uh, John being the only one who, uh, church tradition says, was not actually martyred for his faith, uh, he was exiled instead and, and you say, well, why was it that John was not martyred? Everybody else was. Because probably for this very reason, for these words that you are about to hear, John was preserved so that he could catch a vision for us 2,000 years later and speak those words boldly to us. Hear the word of God from Revelation 21, verse 1. Then I saw, John says, a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more. Again, remember that in, in Revelation, the sea means chaos. The sea, sea means that realm where evil lurks. And the, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. That is our memory verse for today. Would you say verse 3 with me? And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Oh, praise God. John continues, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. Does that sound familiar? It is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, 
the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. Any thirsty people out there today? The one who conquers will have this heritage. I will be his God and he will be my son. But for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Slide over to 22, verse 1, would you? Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life. There it is again, right? We saw it three weeks ago in creation. There it is again. Though they did not eat of it then, there it is again for us to eat of, right? On either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And he affirms again, no longer will there be anything accursed. But the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. And they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun. For the Lord God will be their light. And they will reign forever and ever. The very word of God. Glory to you, God. Glory to you. Well, wow. Um, it, is, it is hard to jump from our world um, yes, having had Jesus come and offer himself as the ultimate sacrifice for us, having given us the ability to live in his kingdom even now, but planted in the midst of, of a world which ever-increasing uh, rapidity is, is, is moving away from God. Now we get to see the final strokes. The, we get to see the beginning of our eternity as, as C.S. Lewis talked about in the Chronicles of Narnia, he said, everything up until this point has just been the prologue, right? This is where the story really begins. This is where the story... Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Um, this is where the story really begins. I've got to do this without putting a stain on that. There we go. Well, I'd like to, um, I'd like to go with you to this amazing part of the Gospel, the Gospel of Restoration. In other words, God's still not done yet. We knew that intellectually, right? But I'm not sure that we have known that in our spirit. God is still in the business of creating. God is still in the business of redeeming. God is still in the business of restoring His creation. Here's, here's the struggle. We live in this in-between place, right? And it's hard. Amen? It is hard. We live between 
two worlds. We live, yes, in this world, and we're called to. Don't make any mistake. Don't hear what I didn't say. We're called to live in this world, to represent Jesus in the midst of this world. But this world is hard and is filled with with grief and it is filled with pain and, and brokenness. And if you don't believe me, go home and turn the news on after our service. It is a, is a painful place that God has put us. Oh, there are amazing splashes of joys in the midst of this, right? As we see those glimpses of God's kingdom, as we, as we celebrate your healing, Jeannie, you know? There's, there's these immense, these immense um, moments of beauty. But then we have to turn around again and recognize that, that there's so much still unredeemed. And it's hard to live in between those two places. I recognize that. I want to suggest to you that it, it, that it's actually easier to live in the world, right? In the world, people won't press you, right? They won't, they won't uh, ridicule you. They won't persecute you. Um, but that is what is coming, beloved. That is what is coming. It, what makes us think that just because we live in the United States that we're not going to experience what everyone else in the world is experiencing, right? I don't, I can't, I'm, this is Dave speaking, but I know that at one point we intended to honor God in this country and God blessed us richly as a result. And the vestiges of that are still in our coinage. It's still in the anthems that we sing. But the reality is that as a culture, we have turned away from from God's plan for us. We have turned away from our responsibility in that. So what makes us think that we are not going to experience what everyone else in the world is experiencing as well? It's tough to live in this world and to long and look for another one. And the the metaphor of Scripture that helps us in that journey is that of a pilgrim, literally that of a journeyman, right? Someone who's on the way. We are not where we ultimately will be yet, but we are on the way. And we have to fix our eyes on that place, right? We have to fix our eyes on, on that final destination, on that world which is to come. And, and the promise of Scripture is that as we do that, as we live into a kingdom that is not yet, then we find strength in the midst of this world. We find strength and hope for the place that we find ourselves now. Yeah, that one day, one day children will not be killed, right, for other people's convenience. One day the poor will not, will not hunger while, while all around them are, are people who have plenty of resources but are so afraid of their future that they won't part with them, right? Um, we, we live in, in, a, in a world where there's still brokenness and pain. We live in a world where there's so much confusion about, about our created identity that we don't know whether we're coming or going anymore. Don't get me started on this, but we can't even declare as as a people, what a man or a woman is anymore. We struggle in this world. But we find hope that this world is not our home. That, that God has a reality and that reality is coming. So we, we are citizens of a country that is not yet. We, that came down. That came down from heaven, right? That, that country is not someplace in the world right now. It is coming. And our citizenship is in that place. 
and, and not in this place. C.S. Lewis once said, if you read history, you'll find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next world. Can I say that again? C.S. Lewis again. If you read history, you'll find that Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next world. The apostles themselves who set afoot the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men and women who built up the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals he's speaking about in the 40s, who abolished the slave trade, all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this world. It's since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this world. He wrote that in the 40s. How much more true it is now. We live between two worlds. But, but even theologically, we live between two times. Between two different times, right? We live between two worlds, but, but also between two. And I'm, I'm really speaking not times chronologically, but, but, but um, kairos times, God moments. The first one was at the birth of Christ, right? We celebrated just a few months ago, as we do each year. We celebrated that the King has come, Right? And he came right in the midst of, 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 of the kingdoms of this world and, and the prophets and, and Mary and the witnesses all added their voices to, together to say, the king has come. But here's the deal. The king is coming again. Just as there was the birth of Christ, there also will be the return of Christ. The king is coming again, right? The King is coming again. And so is our worship team. I'm so grateful for them. I just toss an idea at, at them and they put together just an amazing experience of this. We're waiting. We are waiting here now for that second coming of the King. And some of you are just tempted. I, I could feel it in my spirit. Some of you are just tempted right now. I say, yeah, right. Yeah, they've been waiting for 2,000 years. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Well, we believe this with all our hearts that He is coming again. He is coming again. And our scripture today describes that process when He comes. So we live between two worlds, but we live also between two times. But we live for one purpose. We live for one purpose. And let me lay it out there. And then my job today is to try to unpack that for you so that you can choose to live for that purpose as well. We live for this purpose, to experience the consummation of God's kingdom. I'm sorry for the long words, right? We live to experience the fullness and fulfillment of God's kingdom. We believe in it right now, amen? We prayed, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? But one day, that Heavenly kingdom is going to become a physical reality in a new heaven and a new earth. And we live to experience the consummation of God's kingdom. Now, you know, in our sermon title, I call this the restoration. 
Um, and, and the reason I'm using a different word now is that just even this week, as I thought about those things, I realized God is not just restoring us to the garden. In the garden, this is going to sound heretical, and, and, and this is Dave speaking, but, but not all was accomplished in the garden. God still had more things for us. He had a bride to prepare. He had all kinds of things that were yet undone in the garden, and, and that was shortcut by uh, Adam and Eve's sin and, and we've been on this long journey ever since, uh, as a result, ever since, as a result. Um, but, but the consummation is more than the simple restoration. We're not going back to the garden, right? We're going to a city with a garden in it. We're going to a city with a tree of life now on both sides of the rivers of the waters of life that are flowing from that throne. And all of you who have thirsted, all of you who have longed for that living water, now not only will experience it by faith, as so many of you have, through faith in Jesus Christ, but you'll, you'll experience it literally as well. You will experience it literally. Oh, there's so much to talk of. And we'll do that someday together. We'll talk of heaven. But I just want to note right here that God's presence dwelled in the Holy of Holies for so long as, as a representation of what was to come. And you always wonder, what are all those measurements for, right, in Scripture? Because God wants you to understand that very same God who lived in the Holy of Holies is coming physically in the new Jerusalem and we will experience it. We live for that and we long for that as followers of Jesus, for the consummation of God's kingdom. This is what Jesus taught us to pray, right? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, holy is it. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. We want to see the King. We want to experience His kingdom in all its fullness. Now, some of you good Presbyterians may say to me right here, wait a minute, wait a minute, right? I thought our one purpose, according to the first question of the Westminster Shorter Catechism, was this, right? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And I don't think our sisters and brothers who, who helped to form the faith as we experience it right now were wrong in that. No, my, my job is is to um, make a case today to you that God is most glorified when His kingdom is fully and finally consummated on earth. And every time by faith you live into that future, you fulfill your very own prayer. Every time by faith you live into this kingdom that is yet to come, it actually comes. Now by faith. But then, as we saw, as we see here... Physically, that kingdom comes. Forgive the, um, the Sunday school lesson here for just a moment, but I just want to remind you of things that you're already in know of, things that you say, well, duh. But my guess is that you still, these things still inhabit your intellectual processes and not necessarily your, your heart. What is this kingdom that is to come? Well, a kingdom implies a king, right? I, I, I warned you, I warned you, right? 
But, but let's think about these simple truths for a little bit here. A kingdom implies a king. And here's the deal. Here's where we're really vulnerable as Americans. We don't have no stinking king, right? We overcame that 200 years ago, right? And we're not going back there. And you see how impoverished we are? A king or a queen had in the day, don't think about monarchies today, Uh, symbolic monarchies, a king or queen in the day said yea or nay. You lived or died based on what that king or queen said, what that sovereign said, right? And we're, we're not comfortable with that. Why? Because we are kings and queens, right? We are kings and queens of our own lives and we like it that way. We like it that way. So how in the world are we ever going to submit to the authority of another king if indeed we are parked on the throne ourselves. The kingdom of God implies a king and he or she is not us. The king is coming, right? The kingdom of God also implies a people, a people who are ruled by the king. Several people are praying for us. This is a very important day in the life of our congregation and and Several, um, several people in, in the community, um, my brothers and sisters around the country, are praying for us today. And, and I had shared with them um, one, of, one of my fears, um, that in, in trying to catch you up to where our session has been going for the last three or four years, that we would get so far ahead of you that you would shoot us <laughs> and, and not recognize, right? And, and uh, the reason I'm laughing is because my friend said, yep, yep. That happens on a regular, a regular basis in our zeal to pursue God's perfect will for us. Um, we ache and long for us to be able to get to that place together. If there is no people, there is no king, kingdom, right? So the kingdom implies a people who are ruled by the king. Not just people, but people that are ruled by the king. Citizens and residents and members of his kingdom. They're all subjects of the king. They're subjects of the king. Again, we're a little impoverished because we live in a, in a democratic republic, right? We live in a situation where we, we have that opportunity to vote our leaders in. We have an opportunity to let our voices be heard. And so, so we have lost some of the impact of the very imagery that the Bible uses from first until last, right? of the nature of Jesus Christ, our King. And I think that's reflected in our passage. It went by so fast. But, but in our passage, the Revelation speaks of two kinds of people. And it's an oversimplification, but, but for our purposes today, in this passage, Revelation speaks of two kinds of people. People who have revered the King, right? People who have revered the King. Every single person in this room and in all of history will one day meet God, the Alpha and the Omega, right? And, and for all those who have revered the King, who have longed for His coming, there will be, I don't know if this is in your notes, inexpressible joy. For those who have revered the King, there will be inexpressible joy, right? Joy that is full. Joy that is, that is free. The psalmist put it this way in Psalm 16, 11. In your presence is the fullness of joy. And at your right hand, God, are pleasures forever, right? 
And in Revelation 21, no, it's fulfilled. We experience it. Not just as servants, in fact, no longer as servants of the king, but as sons and daughters of the king. Beloved, lift up your eyes above the pleasures, above the pursuits of this world. Lift up your eyes above the possessions of this world and see your possession in the world to come. Heaven, heaven exemplifies God's eternal blessings to those who overcome, to the conquerors who have turned from this world to Christ. Did you hear it? To the one who conquers, verse 7 says, will have this heritage. God will be their God and they will be His people. It's a word, it's a it's a theme we've seen throughout Scripture, but we jumped right to the back of Revelation, but 20 chapters of Revelation have been saying the same thing. The overcomers, the people who do not love their lives in this world enough to shrink back from death. Remember that? Revelation 12.10. Men and women, followers of the King, who spend their lives and sometimes lose their lives in love for the King. On that day, on this day that we're talking about, they will be welcomed as residents and heirs of the king. But he speaks also of another people, and it was harsh. And the reason that it's harsh is because it calls me out. It calls me out. It speaks to the brokenness of my heart as well. There are people who have rejected the king, right? All those who have rejected the king instead of inexpressible joy, again, not in your notes, but write this in there, there is irreversible justice. There is irreversible justice. This is going to be hard again, as it was hard the first time I read it. As for the cowardly, the faithless, as for the detestable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars. Anybody catch themselves in any of those? I did. Okay. For, for them, there will be Their portion will be the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. The physical death is the first death, but that's not the end. I think that's a punchline in a horror movie, isn't it? Death is not the end. In this case, it's true. It's not physical death is not the end. Um, Revelation says that that continues forever. What an interesting list of sins that John addresses in this letter, right? And what's interesting to me is that nothing has really changed in 2,000 years. We struggle with the same challenges today that they struggled with then. But, but the solutions are the same as well. We can give in to fear, and, and, and he calls that cowardly. We can give in to fear, or we can stand by faith in what God has declared already is and will one day be physically present as well as present by faith, we can live into that instead. There are two kinds of people, according to Revelation 21, those who long and look and live for the king, those who revere the king, and those who reject the king. Kingdom has a king. A kingdom has a people. Kingdom also has a place. It has a place where the king has Dominion, right? 
Where does the king rule? I'm sorry for the Sunday school aspect of this. Where does the king reign? The king rules and reigns right in his kingdom. In his kingdom. And, and did you catch that in Revelation? There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. This, uh, all these cliches are going to come to me. I'm tar- I apologize. This world is not my home, right? Um, um, the, the things of this world will not go with us. There's so many. We all, we all understand them. Why is that? Because they're common sense. If we believe in eternity, the things of this world will not go with us into that world, right? We have to loosen our white-knuckle grip on the things of this world to be faithful to the God who invites us to the next. And it is a huge step of faith. It's a huge step of faith. Now, I'm, I'm doing this because, because I say it's a step of faith, but many of you have come to that place where you have begun to trust God's Word. Can I get a witness? Have you begin, begun to trust God's Word? Right? And, and, and so if it is written, and, and let me just press pause for a split second and say, I didn't arrive at this as a 15-year-old when I first trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. I spent much of my life combating what God said in His Word. And, and, and I, I don't know why. I just think that I thought I knew better, right? And, uh, and, and I probably, if I can do a little blame shifting here, like everybody else apparently in Genesis, if I could if I do a little blame shifting because the people around me were going that way, Right? Those of you in high school and college, oh, my heart goes out to you. You're gonna, you're you're gonna take a beating because people are gonna are gonna say you're foolish to put your trust in a, a 200, 2000 year old document, right? You're foolish to put your trust in a God who says He's coming again and hasn't shown up for two years. There's gonna be voices that will speak into that. It took me a long time. I mean, I, I professed it when I, when I became a follower of Jesus, but it took me a long time, I'm talking four decades, to come to that place where I believe that every word is true. And, and if he says this in Scripture, it is true. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. And we can live into that reality right now by faith. He has prepared for himself a people, and he's also prepared for himself a, a, a place. But he's also prepared for himself a purpose. A purpose. The kingdom has a purpose for the king and his kingdom. And here, I'm, you're going to have to trust me, and I invite you to go back in this same book and follow. It's, it's confusing if you're new at this. It's confusing, but to follow the thought processes of, of God through his scribe John in Revelation. But in Revelation 5, in Revelation 7, in Revelation 9, he casts a vision for this day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. He, he casts this vision for this, this place, literal place, where, where people of every tribe and nation and tongue together lift up their voices, together cast their crowns before Him. All those, all those even spiritual crowns that God has given them who, who cast themselves before the, the risen and reigning and coming King Jesus. 
He casts a vision for that. We have a purpose, beloved, and that is to, to bring as many as God would allow with us to that day. I'm going to ask you, do you know that you will be there that day? Do you know that? You can, but, but you, all of us live in this tension between our heads and our hearts. Uh, and by no, I mean, have you experienced that you will be there? Someone actually asked me that question just a couple of days ago. And, uh, and, and I, I, I don't know what, but I'm, I, I just was able to say, absolutely, I know. I know that I will be there that day. Thank you, Jesus. Now, remember, this is the same guy that just confessed all those things, right? I don't know about sorcery, but probably most of the other ones, right? Um, all those things, I'm, I'm guilty of those just as you are. As Paul says in Ephesians, but I've been washed, right? I've been sanctified by the blood of Jesus, and now I'm longing for that. Do you know? Do you know that you have that assurance? You can. And I want to invite you. Um, we don't know God's perfect timing. Um, I know that for 2,000 years, people thought it would be tomorrow. Beloved, it might be tomorrow. It might be tomorrow. I just beg you. I beg you. Hear the assurance of the voices of the sisters and brothers in this room who have said, I know in whom I have believed. Can I get a witness? Yeah, I know. I know. And you can know too, right? And then for all of us who know, let's open our eyes. Let's recognize that there are people that will never come into these particular walls who do not know Jesus. Very possibly, you might be the person God uses to give them that assurance as well, to bring them into his kingdom. I spend a lot of time, um, some of you know I'm a two-hour-a-week chaplain at a nursing home nearby, and I do three services in those two hours, and it's people pretty close to the kingdom of God. Uh, and, um, and you would think that people pretty close to the kingdom of God would, would say, boy, I'm all ears, right? Um, speak to me words of life. You don't just automatically open your heart to God when you get old. And you don't even automatically open your heart when you get near your deathbed. Now is the time. Today is the day. Let's know for certain And let's recommit ourselves to the vision of Revelation 21 and 22. Let's recommit ourselves to doing everything possible to have as many as possible stand with us before the throne. And we will cry out, hallelujah, right? We will cry out, glory to you, God. Thank you for my sisters and brothers, God. Thank you for the amazing encouragement that they have been to me. God, it's been 25 years. In those moments when, when I was vulnerable to sin, God, they, they strengthened me on the inner person. They rebuked me. They called 
forth for me a deeper faith than I possessed. On those moments when I was tempted to doubt God, your faithfulness, they reminded me of how glorious you are, even when everything else seems to indicate the opposite. And God, you were faithful. You proved yourself true. Unite us. Would you, God, as not just a congregation, but as as friends and visitors here, unite us with one heart and mind to trust your word and to live into your future. And King of glory, Jesus Christ, our Savior, we will rejoice in that moment. Father, for those of us who are at that threshold, as I was 40-some years ago, God, Grant us the courage to pray a simple prayer, to say, God, I recognize that I can no longer be queen or king of my life. I recognize that there's something much larger apart from me, a creator, a a savior, a redeemer, a friend, God, who has given himself for me so that I might be in relationship with a living God. By faith today, God, I trust Jesus Christ. I trust what he says. I trust what he did. And I believe in my heart that you raised him from the dead to validate that. And God, I live into that eternity. And we love you, God. We love you and thank you for all your many blessings in Jesus' precious name. Amen. What is it? What is it that you believed so long ago? wiser and smarter men and women than me and ourselves put together a little confession of faith. And and we want to sing that confession today. Would you stand with us as we worship God?